the moment Gar took over as interim coach, the first thing he did was come to me and say, Randy, just go play. Don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about that. Just, just go play. like to welcome everyone to one of the first episodes of Mavs Archives, the, the new Dallas Mavericks history podcast on the Mavs Podcast Network. I'm here tonight with a former Maverick from the 1990s, Randy White. Randy, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, buddy. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for calling into this, man. I, I really appreciate it. Like I was explaining to you earlier, I'm just, I'm so excited to connect with former Mavs and, and learn more about them and, and take some walks down Mavs memory lane. So um, I'm excited to speak with you. Oh, man, I'm, 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 it's a pleasure to be on, and, and thank you for having me. Of course. One of the first questions that I, that I like to ask a former Mav when I'm talking to them before we talk about their time in Dallas is really just learn how they got started in the game of basketball. I know you grew up in a small town in, in Louisiana. Um, what, what got you interested in the game? Well, just, you know, my first love, uh, believe it or not, was football. And uh, I played football in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and tenth grade. Um, You know, I played both basketball and football. But um, after my sophomore year, you know, I took uh, an incredible um, uh, spurt in growth. You know, I Mm -hmm. went from about 5'11 and a half to 6 feet to 6'7 and a half. So um, that next year, you know, going out for the football team, you know, we at that time, you know, really wasn't that into, you know, lifting and and weights and force bulking up the body. Um, So football and after the the, the growth spurt, I just felt, you know, my best option was to focus on basketball. So from that year on, you know, I basically just put all my interest into basketball from, you know, my uh, my junior year on. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it worked out for the best. Did you have any particular high school career accolades that, that you that were pretty noteworthy for you? Or were, did you play against any other future NBA players at that time? I know it was a small town in Louisiana, but I'm just curious what your, your high school experience was like for you. Well, I'm talking about in that time, at that time in the state of Louisiana, there were a lot of good high school basketball players. A um, couple of guys that I want to say came out the same year that I did. Uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, was a kid that played down in New Orleans, ended up going to Georgetown. But And there were a couple of other kids that played in the New Orleans area um, that, that also went on to play at Georgetown. Um, you know, we had another high school kid that, played in Minden, um, never really got an opportunity to play because he never got, you know, uh, acclimated academically. Um, and he actually would have played at Tech with me. Patrick Baden was a phenomenal point guard, um, you know, a kid about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and could really handle the ball and, and run a team. And um, I was actually really looking forward to him being my point guard because, mm-hmm. you know, we played against each other in high school. And, you know, and we usually, if we had, you know, any troubles in the game, it was usually dealing with him and his ability to make his teammates better. So, you know, I was actually really looking forward to him being my teammate at Tech. But like I said, he just never really got, 
you know, acclimated academically to where he could, you know, have the opportunity to get on the floor. Um, there's a couple of twins that played it with him at, as well. Um, in fact, one of the twins, um, Victor Lee, he is the, um, the head of SWAT here in Dallas, but we played oh, wow. against each other and we played against each other in high school. And, um, you know, he played at now it's called ULM, but it used to be back then Northeast Louisiana. They were one of our biggest rivals. Uh, so him and his twin, they were really, really good, uh, you know, at that time coming out of high school. And, um, you know, there were a few other guys, uh, that, you know, we, we had some, you know, good games when it comes to the, the high school state tournament. Uh, um, there was a, a, a team, uh, in Neville, uh, and in fact, though, one of those guys ended up going to Northeast as well. Um, Brian, um, Spencer, uh, you know, he's about six, three, six, four, uh, played both. He was a dual sport, uh, athlete, played football and basketball, but he played the, you know, the guard position, uh, you know, handled the ball really well, could shoot it. Um, you know, so, you know, the competition was stiff, you know, we had good players at the high school level during that time coming out of high school. It definitely sounds that way. Um, I'm sure that was a, a fun competitive time. What was the, um, the recruitment process that led to you to go to Louisiana tech? Was that one of your, your top choices or were you considering any other schools at that time? Well, you know, I wouldn't say that I was like highly recruited coming out of high school. You know, mm -hmm. I would say marginally recruited. Um, you know, a lot of the state schools, um, and you know, I had a, you know, a couple of offers from, you know, schools like Marquette and um Davidson and, and some schools out of Houston. I I can't remember if it was, you know, you're talking almost forty years ago, so you gotta work with me when it comes to my memory. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was it was you know, I was like I said, I would say I was marginally recruited. Um but I guess what really narrowed it down to, you know, tech and and um I was considering going to Magnese as well. Uh, and if you're not familiar, that's where Joe Dumars played. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and one of the reasons I was considering Magnese because the only year I got to play like AAU basketball was the summer after my, um, my senior year. Um, and I played with a couple of guys, uh, Michael Ruffin, I mean, Greg Ruffin and Michael Cutright. They both went to Zawali High School. Uh, in Zawali, Louisiana, and another young kid from um, from I think South Louisiana somewhere, but it was his name was Anthony Poulard. So we all four played, you know, club ball together that summer, and uh, and we built a bond and a friendship, and and you know, so I really you know considered going to Magnese and teaming up with them. It was probably you know four of the top 10 high school basketball players uh coming out that year you know we were all thinking about going to Magnese. um but really what persuaded me to to Louisiana Tech was actually having the opportunity to play with Carl Malone uh, because at that time uh you know he was a, a junior at Tech and also my high school teammate Michael Lames um went there the year before um, you know, when I was a junior, he was a senior and they tech recruited him and, mm -hmm. and he ended up going to tech. So that was another reason that, you know, kind of elevated tech at the top of the list. You know, I had a high school teammate there. And then, like I said, the opportunity to play with Carl. 
um, because that year, my senior year, they went to the, uh, I want to say the Sweet 16. It was the game to go to the Elite Eight. Uh, and they lost their, you know, a, a last second buzzer beater by Wayman Tisdale to, you know, to not go to the, to the Elite Eight. So thinking all those guys that were going to be coming back, Carl and uh, and this guy that they had playing center was the only guy that was actually leaving from that team. So there was a perfect opportunity for me to come in and step in and, and play alongside Carl. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, weighing all of that into consideration, um, you know, I just say, okay, this seems, and it was 60 miles from, from my doorstep. So my mother could get to see me play um, oh, you yeah, know, pretty absolutely. All, the time, all the time at home. So, um, you know, it was, it was a no brainer, you know, like I said, an opportunity to play with a guy like, like Carl and, and to be on a team that's really, really, really going to be good. Uh, you know, it was, you know, everything led me to go to tech and, um, and like, I want to say a week or so after I signed my letter of intent, uh, Carl announced his hardship. <laughs> <laughs> they just, just missed out. Yeah, it was funny, but you know, he had to do what he had to do at that time. And, uh, you know, and he was, you know, he was a big, you know, part of my growth, uh, at, at college, you know, because, you know, everybody's saying, okay, well, these are the shoes you got to come in and feel. So, you know, having that, you know, put on me at such a young age and, and really at that time, not really knowing how good Carl was going to be at the next level. Um, you know, because I feel Carl had the career he had simply because he felt so many teams overlooked him. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, Carl went 13th in the draft. So that means 12 other teams thought, you know, they got somebody better than Carl Malone. And I think he played his entire career uh, with that chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, he knew that he was better than a 13th pick. And I knew it too. Every, I'm talking about everyone knew it. And we just couldn't figure out how did he slip to 13. But obviously, you know, everything happens for a reason. Uh, he's, you know, he's a Hall of Famer uh, with the with the Utah Jazz, and you know, one of the 50th greatest players to ever play the game. Having that put on me was it was a blessing and a curse at the same time because, like I said, when it initially happened, you know, Carl was just entering into the league, and like I say, it didn't happen for him year one, year two, but by year three, uh, in my opinion, he was one of the best, if not the best, power forward in the game, and remained the best power forward in the game pretty much until, you know, he walked away. That's my opinion, you know. Yeah. Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley will argue different, but, <laughs> you, know, when they, you know, when they talk about the greatest power forwards in the league, you know, everyone talks about Tim Duncan, and, and hey, I get it, I understand it. Tim Duncan was a phenomenal player, and, you know, he won multiple championships uh, with the San Antonio Spurs, but, you know, that's all part of a team, and that was an organization that, you know, that, built that culture and, and, and help make that possible. Uh, you know, though Carl never won championships, he played for two, but when you just talking about the position, power forward, to me, it should oh, be a yeah. big, it should be a big picture of Carl Malone. Uh, you know, if you put it in a dictionary and it says power forward, it should be a big picture of Carl Malone right next to it. Oh, thank you for, for going into detail about that because I, you know, I'm, 
I'm sure that's something that gets brought up to you a lot in the past and maybe even some still today. So it was definitely on my list of things I wanted to talk to you about was the comparisons with Malone. So I appreciate you, you know, sharing your, your honest opinion about, about that and your experiences with him. Um, and some of my research on you, I saw that, I guess, either in, uh, in the summers in between your, your college career, you worked out with him sometimes in Dallas. Is that correct? Yeah, my sophomore year, uh, my point guard at the time, Kelvin Lewis, he and I, um, the uh, university arranged for us to, you know, get jobs here in Dallas. Uh, and we played in the, um, the Dallas College Summer League. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had an opportunity to play against a lot of young, you know, uh, you know, co- collegiate players that were, you know, from the area that was home during the summers and, and also some of the young players that were going to college. For example, Larry Johnson played in this league. Um, you know, he was a, a senior in, in high school. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it was a great opportunity. And, you know, even though Carl was playing in Utah, he early in his career, he spent most of his summers here in Dallas because we also, um, you know, signed with the same agent initially. Uh, by the time I got with the Blakeleys, I think Carl had already jumped ship and moved on uh, with other representation, but that's who he initially signed with. So at the time, when I came out here, when I was still in college, you know, he was, you know, he was represented by the Blakeleys. That's how I got to know the Blakeleys, was through Carl. Oh, wow. And, um, and yeah, and we spent some time together, you know, we used to camp out in this apartment he used to want to kick my butt cause I would wear some of his clothes and, you know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm a 19 year old sophomore in college and this is Carl Malone, who I think by that time had already made an all-star team and he's from my alma mater. And, you know, so I was like a kid in the candy store. Uh, but to him, we were probably a little pests. but he spent time with us and worked out with us and and coached us up and um you know gave me pointers for us and you know he the one that really kind of got me going toward the uh the lifting and and to you know building up my body uh to where i could you know be physically stronger and and faster than you know than my opponents um, at the collegiate level, you know, that's, that's where that inspiration came from because graduating high school, I was six, seven and a half, six, eight with shoes on, if you want to say, uh, but I was about two Oh five, two ten, soaking wet. Um, and I remember my first year in college, you know, we had a pretty tough schedule because like I said, they had went to the sweet 16. So their schedule for the next season was, you know, a lot of stuff based on what happened to, you know, past two years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had Indiana on the schedule. We had Kansas on the schedule. We had UNLV on the schedule. Uh, you know, so we had, you know, a pretty tough schedule. And I realized right away that 6 8, 205, 210 ain't going to cut it. And uh, so from that point on, I really focused on, you know, lifting, you know, getting bigger and getting stronger. So, you know, by the time, you know, my junior year, I'm, I'm six eight, two fifty, two forty five, and you know, and, and you know, pretty cut up. Uh, could have been better, uh, but to where I came from, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I that really never lifted a lot of weights in high school. Uh, you know, I felt you know I was able to do pretty good, but again, that inspiration came from seeing how Carl carved himself up uh, even after he got in the league. 
You know, that, right. about, that's when really, that's when Carl really defined, you know, himself as a player is after he had gotten to the league. Uh, but like I said, Carl played with such a chip uh, on his shoulder. He played with such motivation. Uh, and, you know, obviously I think it was a blessing in disguise. It was the best thing that happened to him because I truly believe that played a major role in, you know, how his career turned out. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's hard to disagree with that. Um, so in, in 1989, your, your college career wraps up at Louisiana Tech and you're, you're preparing for the 89 draft where you're eventually selected by the Mavs with the eighth pick. What was your, your mentality like at that time or what, what were your expectations coming to the Mavericks for, for your rookie season? Well, um, you know, I, I felt that I could have been a player that could have contributed and helped uh, you know, a team that was pretty much already, uh, you know, intact. You know, I think they coming into the draft, you know, there was rumors and things, you know, circulating in regards to the health of our center at the time, James Donaldson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when I got to camp in my first couple of years, you know, James played at a very high level, you know, uh, he, and he stayed pretty much healthy, uh, you know, the whole time that he, that I played with him here in Dallas. So, um, I knew minutes would be tough, uh, you know, because at that time they had Adrian Dantley, uh, you know, who was a perennial all-star. They had Roy Tarkley, who was, you know, an up-and-coming. I think he had been sixth man of the year, Herb Williams. Um, you know, so they were they were really good at the uh, at the forward and center positions. Uh, and, but I felt things really kind of got thrown off track with me uh, and for my development. It's because, you know, early into my rookie season, uh, the coach that drafted me, the coach that wanted to take me with the eighth pick, um, you know, he ended up getting fired. You know, I want to say 15, 20 games into my rookie season. And from my understanding, and I don't know this to be true, uh, but the interim coach, Richie Arabato, who took over after John McLeod was let go, Mm -hmm. uh, was one of the coaches that were in the, I guess they call it the, uh, the, the the war room when it's you know draft night uh, but he was one of the coaches that really wasn't that high on me as a player uh, coming in um, from my understanding he wanted to take another kid from Georgia Tech Todd Hammonds hmm. but like I said I don't know that to be true that's just something that I heard uh, and I heard that even while I was still playing with the Mavericks but oh wow I look back on it and. The thing of it is, you have to hold yourself accountable. And and one thing about age, you know, with age come wisdom. Uh, and and now looking back on it, if I could go back and tell the twenty one, twenty year old Randy White, uh, if I could whisper some things in his ear, uh, I believe I could get him on track for us and how to be a pro, how to be a good teammate, how to support your teammates, how to continue to work and improve on your craft, even though the minutes are not what you think they should be or what you want them to be. Uh, But you have to continue to work. You have to continue to be a good teammate. You have to continue to support your teammates. And those were a lot of mistakes that I made. You know, I felt if I could look back on uh, and say anything about my career, uh, there's a couple of things I, I would say. I wish I had a, worked harder and talked less 
and I wish I could have been a much better teammate to the guys that were around me. Uh, because the one thing you understand, and you have to understand as a, as a player, you know, at that time we had 12 men on the roster. You know, mm-hmm. all 12 guys were superstars somewhere and at the collegiate level. Oh, yeah. All 12 guys want to play 35 minutes a night. You know, all 12 guys want to be an important part, you know, of the rotation. So if you're not where you are, you can't allow that to disrupt what's going on in your locker room and what's going on with you and your teammates or what's going on with you and your coach. You have to keep your nose down, your head to the grind, your nose to the grind, continue to work, support your teammates, and your time will come. See, like I said, I can say that now because I'm 51. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. You know, right. When, when I'm 20, it's, it's, it's different, you know, and, and like I said, there is for every one thing, the Mavericks, I felt they may have done wrong. I did 10 things wrong. So, uh, but like I said, that's, that's, those are things that come to you as you get older and you mature and you grow up. Um, so, you know, I always felt that, you know, I let a lot of people down, uh, as a, you know, as a Maverick because the expectations were so high. Like I said, the whole thing with Carl, it was a blessing and a curse at the same time. Right. Uh, you know, that's kind of what I'm referring to. Uh, there was so much hype and so much anticipation and so much built up on this draft pick, and it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, or they, it didn't turn out the way they planned it. And and I'm more responsible for that than anybody. Uh, and that's something that I can honestly say, you know, that I can, you know, I can look myself in the mirror and say, hey, you did this. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, Randy, thank you so much for, you know, for your honesty and your, your insight in, into that. Um, you know, I really appreciate it. And that's part of the reason why I've been doing this is just to learn more about Mavericks history and learn more about individuals and, and their experience here. So I really appreciate the, uh, the depth and details that you just shared with me. So thank you. Oh, awesome, man. I, like I said, I just, you know, you, you grow up as you get older. And, and you look back and you see so many things that you could have handled differently and done differently. Um, but ultimately, it all falls on your shoulders. And, right. Uh, you know, and like I said, I still enjoyed my five years here. Uh, you know, they, uh, the Carters, uh, Don and Linda Carter, uh, may Don rest in peace. Um, you know, it's, they gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I... It, Going to college, the NBA was the farthest thing from my mind, you know, having that opportunity. Uh, I didn't didn't think it was a possibility. You know, like you hear a lot of young kids today, you know, they've been dreaming and thinking about the NBA since they were seven years old, since they could bounce a basketball. That was never the case for me. Um, for me, basketball, I looked at it, this is an opportunity to go to college and, you know, and get an education. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that would be the only way, other than getting student loans and grants and all that type of stuff. But pretty much that would be my only way to college. So that's that's all I saw basketball as, as an opportunity to go to college. Now, once I got to college, you know, and things, you know, start to develop, and I got better each year. The numbers got better each year. Um, and then it wasn't probably until the end of my junior year that I even thought, the NBA was a possibility. Even as a freshman and a sophomore, I wasn't thinking about the NBA in college. I wasn't thinking about, oh, in two years, I'm going to be playing at that level with those guys. 
like I said, I really appreciate what uh, you going down your, your journey. I did have a few specific questions about your Mavericks experience, if, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, you know, I was looking at, at your career and I, I'm, I'm 33. And so I, I became a Mavs fan in the mid nineties, like when Jason Kidd arrived. So, you know, okay. early nineties and eighties is a little bit before my time, but I, you know, I really enjoy, especially over the last couple of years that I've been doing this, learning more about the, the Mavs of the early nineties and the eighties and hearing stories and learning more about the players that were there. So, I mean, you were really here at a, you know, those were some, some lean years for the most part, but there was also a lot of an incredible amount of turnover, particularly just in terms of head coaches. I mean, you know, you were here for five seasons, but you played for four different head coaches. You mentioned two of them, John McLeod and Richie Adubato. Um, You know, what were your, um, just some of your experiences like with, with the coaching turnover with those guys and Gar Hurd and Quinn Buckner? I mean, that, that probably couldn't have been easy, particularly for a young player not being able to have much stability on a, on a struggling team. Well, yeah, it was difficult, uh, you know, because like I said, John was the guy that drafted me. So, you know, I felt even though early, you know, the first, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 ball games of my rookie season, you know, I wasn't playing great, but I wasn't playing bad. But, you know, mm-hmm. John was constantly put me in, in situations to try to get me to develop and, and grow. And it just seems like after he left, if I didn't play well, I didn't play. And, and I just felt for my, for my development as a pro, I felt it was hindered. Uh, and going into the second season and then the following season, the third season, you know, the second season, you know, we won 29 ball games. Obviously, we missed the playoffs. Um, and I want to say I averaged probably less than uh, – I know less than 20 minutes a game, but it was probably somewhere in the ballpark of 18, 19, 20 minutes a game uh, my second season. And then my third season, we won even fewer ball games, and I averaged fewer minutes than the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like I said, I was under the stewardship of, of, of Richie Adubato. And again, we weren't winning many ball games. You know, we were winning 18, 19, 20, 21. I want to say my third year, we won 21 ball games. Um, and, you know, and I knew that had to have been wearing on the veteran guys like Derek and Roe and Herb, you know, guys that mm-hmm. had been accustomed to winning and, and accustomed to being part of, you know, good organizations. Uh, you know, so they end up, jumping ship, which yeah, I understand, you know, because like I said, just two years prior to me get, getting to the Mavericks and being drafted by the Mavericks, they were in the Western Conference Finals in a game seven with the Lakers. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, you're talking about guys that, like Derek, you know, who I love playing with, um, you know, a guy that could push it, a guy that could score, a guy that can create. You know, he improved uh, scoring every year in the league up until, I want to say, two or three years after I had been there. He got better and better and better and better as a scorer and then also was one of the top 15, top 20 assist guys in the league pretty much every year. And then you had Rolando Blackman, who had been an all-star for a few years, a couple of years, uh, averaging 20-plus a game. And I'm talking about we had these two guys, and, and they was carrying so much of the load but it just it wasn't clicking with with the other positions and with the other areas and and I just felt you know at that time you know my 
my high school coach had old saying, um, if I'm going to lose, if I'm going to get embarrassed, if I'm going to get whipped, I'm going to get whipped with my babies. I'm not going to play seniors and get whipped. If I'm going to get whipped, I'm going to get whipped with my sophomores, my freshmen, my sophomores, juniors. I put them in anything. I can get whipped with them. But hopefully by the time they're juniors and seniors, they'll be developing, they'll be ready to play. So he would pull his whole senior class. I'm talking about every senior that was on the floor. We went out and they were, we were getting our butts kicked. He would bench them and he would sit them down the whole game. And he would start the sophomores and, and, and maybe a junior the very next game. Say, look, if you guys not going to play for me, then I'll play my babies. Mm-hmm. And I just felt as when I was in my second and third year, we were playing 10, you know, nine-year vets, 11-year vets. And I'm not saying these guys don't need to play. That's not what I'm saying. But they're, when you've invested with the eighth pick in the 89 draft, you've invested into this pick. If you're not winning games, he's got to be on the floor. At least that's in my opinion, because I, I watched the game today uh, over the last, you know, say the last 10, 15 years. Uh, number one picks, draft picks, rookies, they are allowed to develop. They are allowed to make mistakes. They are allowed to grow and, and figure the league out. Because, you know, very few guys come into this league. There are very few LeBrons and Kobe's and Magic's and Michael's that come in and then just right away take the league by storm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only it's, There's only a few of those guys. Everyone else needs constant development. And they get better as every year they get better. If if you're constantly developing and playing them and making sure they're getting, you know, enough minutes to develop. And I just felt I was never given that opportunity. But if you look at years one through three and a half, I want to say they uh, actually, yeah, my fourth year, 20 games into my fourth year, 30 games, they let Richie Alabado go. And Gar Hurd took over as uh, interim head coach. Okay, I don't know if you are able to do this, but if you look at my numbers, in any year prior to the 40, 50 games that I played for Gar Hurd, you see every statistic almost double. I want to say the remainder of that year, my fourth year, now obviously we were on a bad team, so it's, it's easy to put up decent numbers when you're on a bad team. I understand that. But we were a bad team the year before, too. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) You know, know, so we were bad teams the year before. Uh, But if you look at from the, 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 I don't like to say, I want to say it was 40-something games that I played for Gar Hurd. I want to say I averaged close to 19 points, close to 10 rebounds, shot well over 43, 44% from the field, shot close to 80% from the free throw line. Because the moment Gar took over as interim coach, the first thing he did was come to me and say, Randy, just go play. Don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about that. Just just go play. Play hard. You give me effort, play hard, and we'll work we'll work with everything else. And and it was like that's all I need to hear from. That's all I need to hear from any coach. Yeah. It's like just just go play. Go play hard. Don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about turning turn your ball over. You know, obviously, we're not going to just leave you in the game that you turn the ball over and over and over. But if you make a mistake, if you make a turnover, if you miss a shot, 
just keep playing. And like I said, I don't know if you can pull it up, but if you look at the numbers from the first four years and to the remainder of that season, you see a drastic difference. Yeah, actually, as you said that, I've pulled it up a little bit, and uh, you know, I can see some some twenty point games, a thirty one point game. Um, you know, games where you're playing 33 minutes, 37 minutes, 33 minutes again, 36. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see that, you know, once you took over, you really got your opportunity and you were starting most of the games. And, uh, yeah, so um, I could definitely see that, that, you know, once you got your chance, you actually produced pretty well. The end of that year, I got hurt. I ended up tearing my cartilage and my meniscus in my right knee. So I missed, I want to say, the last four or five games of the season. Uh, maybe three or four games. And then I had meniscus uh, surgery, you know, immediately after the season. And then we come back that next year, they hired Quinn Buckner as, as the head coach. They, you know, they didn't keep guard. They, you know, let guard go and they brought in Quinn Buckner. That lasted one year. And I spent 80% of that year on IR because just I, my knee never got back right. And, and so when I really thought I was finally going to get the opportunity, you know, new coach, you know, new situation, um, never could just stay healthy that year. You know, like I said, I want to say I only played my fifth year, my last year contract with the Mavericks. I want to say I played less than 30 games. Yeah, it uh, looks like you played 18 that, that final year under under Quinn yeah. Buckner, which um, unfortunately you said, you you know, like you said, you were injured for most of it. But uh um, and, you know, and that, that was your, the end of your, your run with the Mavs, but I did have a few more Mavs questions for you. And there's a, there's a really great website, um, newspapers.com. And you can search all these old archives of like actual newspapers. They have them all that you can search through. And I found some interesting little things about you from your time with the Mavs. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about. So one of them, it says that, you were fined $250 by the Mavs for missing a practice, but the reason you missed that practice is because your pipes burst in your house, your water heater broke, and the Mavs still find you? Is that true? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I don't think I called or I, I, didn't, I didn't follow the, the proper procedures for it. And if, if you're going to miss a practice, even if you got you know, a legitimate reason for missing a practice, there's a procedure that you go through that, you know, you have to call if you can't get in contact with the coach or the player. But I didn't do either. I just tended to the situation at home because I had water going all over my house. So I was just, <laughs> I just, you know, figured I was to be able to tell them when I got there. Uh, but obviously that didn't work, but that wasn't, that wasn't a big issue for me. I, you know, at that time, $250, um, you know, I hate to say it that way, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I, I know it wasn't. I just, I found the, uh, the reasoning that you were, um, I, it, it's just an interesting little article that I found. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just, uh, and you know, because like for example, I missed the practice. Um, I want to say either the, a few years later, because I had an accident on the way to practice. I totaled my, my uh, at that time, my fiance's BMW because we had like an ice storm. Mm-hmm. And and I was leaving my house, coming to practice, and I didn't even get out of my neighborhood. And next thing you know, I hit a patch of ice, and the car went to spinning and turning and spinning, and I ended up crashing into a tree in the median in in the middle of the street. Oh wow! Um, and um, ended up tearing up a car. But 
you know, uh, I called and, and that was, you know, that was an excuse and I didn't get fined for missing practice. You know, it's like I say, it's just, there's a, there's a, there's a procedure that you go through and the, the time that the pipes burst in the house, I didn't go through that procedure. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, couple other things here. So another, another website that I like to check when doing research is basketballreference.com. And that's what I was just looking at when we were looking at some of your, your game logs and everything, but it has player nicknames and yours, it lists the nickname bird. How did you get the nickname bird? That came from high school. Um, my, um, my high school coach, um, like I said, I was a skinny kid and like I said, and I grew <laughs> a lot in a short period of time. Um, you know, like I said, I went from five eleven, six feet to six, seven and a half in pretty much one summer. So they called, you know, and my mother always said I had a bird chest because, you know, I had no muscles. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, you know, they just called me Big Bird uh, in high school. <laughs> and, uh, and it just kind of, and it kind of stuck, you know, and it stuck through college. Uh, you know, my college coach called me that. A lot of my team, uh, college teammates called me that. Um, so it just, it, it's kind of, it started in high school. And I guess it's just from being tall and skinny and looking like Big Bird. And at that time, you know, um, jerry curls were in. So I wore a big jerry curl, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my junior and senior year in high school. So um, it, it was, it was kind of fitting. But trust me, it had nothing to do with Larry Bird. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, no, that, that's funny. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. So, you know, your just a couple more things here. Your your career in the in the NBA ended in '94, but you got to go um, and play overseas. And you know, we mentioned it a little bit earlier when we got on the phone tonight. But um, you you played there with one of my uh, one of my favorite podcast guests to date. And just a really good guy, Martin Mirsep. Do you have any good um, Martin Mirsep stories from, from your time in Greece together? Yes. Martin is a hoop, man. This guy, he was a phenomenal player. I'm talking about he was one of those guys that he's like an energizer bunny. He just goes and goes and goes and goes. It never gets tired. <laughs> and um, But, you know, being from his native country, you know, it, it, at that time, um, uh, is, is, is it Estonia? Estonia, correct. Yeah, Estonia. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's border with Russia. Uh, it used to be a part of Russia. And now Russians are known to be able to drink. And the year I was playing with, uh, with Martin, we had a friendly exhibition in Tel Aviv where I had played two years prior. I played for Maccabi for two years. And, um, and we went back for a friendly game for a tournament. And that's the first time I got to play against uh, Stryakovic. Uh, he was still playing in Europe at this time. He was before he got to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we went out one night and, and he had a, a Russian teammate that was also on our team, uh, Mikhailov. I can't remember his first name, but I remember his last name, Kalov. Those two guys drunk three bottles of vodka <laughs> in a matter of about, I don't know, two and a half, three hours, along with several, several shots of tequila. And 
And I guess the thing that was so amazing to me, uh, I had some of my friends that I played with in uh, Tel Aviv. We were all we were all hanging out, and and we were just sitting there, you know. And I had had a few. I had a few drinks, you know. I'm I'm not saying I was a virgin in the bar. <laughs> I, I, I I had a few drinks, but I was just wanting to see were these guys going to be able to get because the whole time they were drinking, they were sitting. I said, there's just no way they're going to be able to stand up and walk out of here. And when I tell you, Martin and Mikhail got up and walked out of that bar like they had been drinking water all night. <laughs> I'm talking about not slurring, not drunk, not, I'm talking about, like I said, you would have literally thought they had dinner and was drinking water all night. <laughs> it was the craziest thing I had ever seen in life. I was like, there's just no way they consumed all that alcohol and, and walk out of here the way he did. Now, I'm, you know, I've seen people, you know, go on vendors like that, and, but they usually being carried out. Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. <laughs> but these two guys, uh, man, they, they, were, they, they were phenomenal uh, in that bar, but they were also phenomenal, uh, you know, especially Mark. Like I said, he, he was a guy that played with so much energy. It was so much fun to play with him. Because, you know, he was more like of a, you know, a guard playing the forward position. You know, he could put it on the floor. He could shoot it. He could pass it. You know, he could do so many things with the basketball. So it was fun to play with it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, one of my favorite podcast guests. And, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I had the privilege of meeting him in person last year. And he was a really nice guy. And uh, thank, thank you for sharing that. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. He, he was really just a really good guy. Um, so I got one last question for you, and this is typically how I like to end all of these uh, these these episodes that I'm doing. So right now in front of me, I'm looking at the Mavericks roster from your rookie year, 1989-1990. Um, okay. The regular season roster, there's 15 names on it, including you. I wanted to see how many of the other 14 names you could name. I could You're- probably name all of them. Uh, uh, let's start at the top. Let's go with... Uh, Derek Rolando, uh, Sam Perkins, Roy Tarpley, Adrian Dantley, James Donaldson, um, Steve Alford, uh, oh, um, Jill Winnington, uh, oh, a kid from, uh, from UNLV, uh, Anthony Jones, uh, missing somebody. Who am I missing? Missing five. Oh, wow. Five, I'm missing five. <clears throat> one guy was only there one game. <laughs> one game? Yeah. A point guard. Is it Kevin Upshaw? No, he's he's one of the ones you're missing, but that, that wasn't the one that I was uh... – Oh, that's right. Upshaw was there my, my rookie year. Yeah. Um, you just got four left. One of the guys that you have left currently has his number retired by the Mavs. I didn't say Rolando. No, you said Rolando and Derek, but there's another guy that was on that team that has his jersey retired too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought I – did I say Brad Davis? Uh, if you did, I missed it, but now you got it. Okay, Okay. yeah. I thought I, I – maybe I didn't, but – Okay. Yeah, maybe I, maybe I did. But, yeah, Brad, 
And then one oh, guy you yeah. mentioned earlier, um, just as one of the, the veterans on the team, and then there's two others. And oh, oh man, how'd I forget him? My boy Herbie Love, uh, yeah, Herb Wiggins. <laughs> and two no. more. And uh, you know, I, I, I like to consider myself pretty familiar with Mavs history. Uh and these are two names that I had never heard before until recently. Um especially one of them. He just his name got by me in all my research, but he's only there one game. Church it. No, he was there another year, uh, a couple years no, later, no, not no, year. No, no. Um, I've I've been trying no, no, no. to get him on the show, Radisav or Radislav, yeah, but um, yeah. You say he was there for one game. Yep. <laughs> and then there's another guy who was there for. Let's see. We also drafted Pat Durham that that year, but I know he didn't. He didn't. He didn't come to camp. No, one guy was there for 10 games, another guy was there for one game. Are they both guards? One's a small forward, the other's a point guard. Man, I'm going I can't believe I can't think of all of them. <laughs> I'll be happy to tell you if you're uh Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and I, I bet it's going to be so easy. Bob McCann. Now wait a minute. Was Bob there my rookie year? Uh, according to year. Basketball Reference, he is, he was there for ten games your rookie year. Man, I thought Bob came my second year. <laughs> and then the other guy who was only there for one game was a guy named Mark Wade. Mark, I remember Mark Wade. Okay, uh, yeah, I remember him in camp. Uh, but I could have sworn I thought Bob was there because I know that summer after my rookie season, we were all in L.A. together for the summer league. And I won't say Bob was with us. That, that's why I thought he was there my second year and not my first year. In the latter half of your, your rookie year is when he, he played his 10 games with the Mavs. Okay. Yeah, maybe they signed him to a 10-day uh, toward the end of the season. Because I know Bob wasn't there at the beginning of the season. He wasn't there at the beginning of camp. At least I don't think he was. Or maybe, man, yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> but that's usually how I, how I like to, to end these with, uh, with everyone. So, um, you know, I, I just want to say thank you, Randy, for, for uh, just coming on this show tonight and for uh, just telling your story. You know, I, I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed learning more about that period in Mavs history and more about you. So thank you. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. Like I said, thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot. Have a great night. All right, you too now. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye.